Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. From weddings to work functions to weekends out on the town, it's always the right time to dress to impress. Step out in style this season with Indochino. They make high-quality custom-fitted suits, shirts, and casual wear, all at a surprisingly affordable price. Each Indochino piece is made to your unique measurements and specifications, so you get a perfect fit every time. You can even customize every single detail of your suit, from the lapel of your jacket, all the way down to the hem finish of your pants. Creating a suit that fits you and your style has never been easier. And the best part is that Indochino suits start from just $4.29. Dress to impress this season with Indochino. Right now, get $50 off any purchase of $3.99 or more by using promo code IMPRESS at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com, promo code IMPRESS. This is another one of our special podcasts here on The Blue Room. We are going to be speaking to a wonderful writer and author about a really good book. I am Matt Jones. I'm also joined by Mike Diasha, who you'll know from the shows as well. And we're also joined by Daniel Story, who is the author of the book Mind Games, The Ups and Downs of Life and Football with Neville Southall. Uh, Daniel, thanks very much for coming on today, first and foremost. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting concept for a book. Um, fascinating stuff. We know Nev's a fascinating character. We know you're a, a great writer. And, and the first thing I wanted to ask you really is where did the, the idea come from? Was it you approaching Neville or, or vice versa? I think it was it was Harper Collins approaching Neville. Um, they'd obviously seen his his Twitter persona, and I think there was a, an idea that he had things to say that were could be longer than Twitter that could make a book. And he was really, you know, he was keen. He was already thinking about doing that. Uh, and then thankfully, Harper Collins approached me. Uh, I'd done a couple of shorter books for them before, um, and thought I'd be a good fit for it. So you know, they ran that by Neville, and I met up initially with Neville, and he seemed fine with it so yeah we work from there it doesn't really strike you as your most typical footballer's book does it really a a discussion about mental health and much more deeper discussions than your usual cliches that you'd have would you working in football do do you find those discussions with footballers to be quite difficult and was Nev an outlier in that sense I think they're getting easier um I think there there was maybe still does linger a sense that 
talking about things like mental health particularly um, opens yourself up to, to criticism and or, or maybe opens yourself up to scrutiny that particularly from from elements of the media that can be unhelpful when you're still playing Neville is is, is definitely to answer one of your questions Neville is definitely an outlier um, because he goes much further um, and much deeper much more eloquently and has thought more than any other player or ex-player that I've ever met um, but but that's why I think the book worked because Neville has a thousand and one things to say and you can sit him down and I did sit him down for two weeks and he just talks and talks and talks and, and none of it is is waffle quite frankly so yeah say? sorry sorry go on. go on no 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 go on well you say you say those conversations are, are getting easier in the sense that Neville's an outlier is it because he does have more to say that isn't waffle because obviously you, the, those discussions seem to be media trained, even to the sense of those mm. things like mental health politics, those discussions, unless you find a very specific footballer, is it getting easier because they are trained what to say, or is it easier because it's more acceptable to talk about them? I think it's a general rise in, in mental health awareness. Um, I think for too long, and I think this is still true, we, we've, we've, treated footballers as it's a phrase I use a lot but we've either treated them as, as performing circus animals or we've treated them as robots we expect mm. absolute consistency I think the rise of computer games is probably something to do with it but we, ex we expect this complete consistency from players and one of Neville's big things is that you know if, if a player's going through a hard time maybe don't just assume that they don't care maybe don't just assume that they aren't very good at football maybe something else is going on um, he was very different as a footballer and as a, you know, as a person, as a footballer, I think, you know, he's teetotally never smoked. He never gambled. He was probably a bit of an outsider in Everton squad and with Wales as well. So maybe that gave him a kind of unique position to look at it from afar, but all power to him because it's one thing thinking those things and it's another kind of putting yourself out there. And it would have been very easy for Neville to slip into retirement quietly and, and do his own thing, but he's gone the opposite way. You mentioned there, Daniel, in regards to Harper Collins were, were the ones that were the catalyst for this. Um, and you subsequently had two weeks of, of conversations with Neville and, and he talked and talked and talked. So, I mean, I don't know if you had a, a relationship there beforehand, but, but going into to those conversations and going into this, did you have a preconception of what Neville Southall was like? And was it completely different by the end of, of the two weeks? I think I was probably more worried about him having a preconception of me because Neville's a very <laughs> you know he's a very straight talking guy but he's also a, an incredibly kind guy and one of the things about being kind I think is that if you're not careful people can take advantage of you and Neville wanted to do this book but he also knew that he wasn't the best person to to write it necessarily it needed to be his word but they also need to be written in a way that could get the reader on board with it because basically all of this is, is a call to arms from Neville to say we need to be doing more in these areas and we need to look after each other more um, so he wanted to do that but he also needed to know that I was the right person that I wasn't just a you know a kind of taking the money and doing it and run and you know we still chat on the phone now we're talking about maybe doing another project together so I think it became clear pretty quickly that it was Neville isn't the sort of person you can just work with and then say, right, see you in a few years time or have a good life. He kind of <laughs> sticks, stays close to you, which is, which is great for me because he's a, he's a wonderful person to talk to. Uh, just, just, just very quickly on that as well. I think I, I imagine there'll be people who watch Neville Southall in the eighties. You maybe aren't on social media who aren't aware of, of what he's doing now in his life in that sense. And 
probably will look at him as someone who is, you know, a bit scruffy, someone who is outspoken, someone who, you know, I imagine most people will instantly go back to that that image of him, maybe not lifting any trophies for Everton, but sat on the post after the, you know, the half time mm-hmm. during that during that game against Leeds. And I think outside of this, you know, bubble where all in his football broadcasters and writers and, and journalists and we see what Neville Southall does on, on a day to day basis. Maybe there's there's a lot of people out there who probably think something differently of him entirely. Yeah. You know, you know, reading about this, I didn't realise he was completely teetotal in, in his footballing days as well. And I think that the way in which he was on a pitch sometimes has, has painted the picture of somebody who is actually quite different to the man off it. Yeah, there's there's two uh, two things I say there. The first is that there's a reason why Neville being such a, you know, a defender of, of things like trans rights and mental health rights, there's a reason it's so effective. And that's because you look at Neville and you see a, a gruff working class, big guy, former footballer. And you think, well, these are probably the people I would most be scared of if I had these, you know, if I harbored these fears in society. And what Neville's saying is that, look, if I can go on this educational journey, if I can educate myself to be better and to be more knowledgeable, then so can anyone else. No one else has any excuse. And, and the second thing is that the one thing that becomes clear when talking to Neville is that he didn't just want to be known as Neville Southall, former Everton great, former Wales goalkeeper. He wanted to be known as someone, you know, he said, I've had that life. It was brilliant. It treated me well. It's enabled me to do what I want now, but I didn't want to be known as that. And, you know, for the first three, four, five years, he was working in the industries he does. He was introduced as we've got a former footballer in and he was like, well, that's not me anymore. So that they're the two big things that drive him. He wants to see, he, he accepts that he is not a natural to look at, you know, a, a, a mental health campaign or a, a trans rights campaigner, but that's exactly the point. If you go beyond what people look like and look inside, then you'll see a very different person. I think that that imbalance between the exterior and the interior with Neville Southall is really interesting. Something to just dwell on. Uh, education you've spoken about there, the idea of him going away and educating himself. And one thing I always found interesting about Neville Southall was the idea that Whenever he was asked about Everton, it was always Everton should be aiming to win the league. Even when they were finishing 11th under Roberto, Roberto Martinez, it doesn't matter. He should be aiming to win the league. That's what it was about. It was the idea of Everton should be the best. And that in itself is a pressure environment for footballers. And to then see what we saw, I think, a week ago, a couple of weeks ago, when there was a lot of scrutiny of Jordan Pickford and he came out on Twitter and said, this is the time you need to get behind him. Now, I've done it. I've made mistakes. You need to back him. That there's a little bit of a clash there, that sense of pressure on one hand that, no, this club should be the best and needs to be the best. But on the other hand, also that players are going to need fans to back them. Do you think that middle ground of his personality is something from your conversation with him that's always existed within him? Or do you think that initial Everton has to be the best was something he was steadfastly within when he was younger and has educated himself more to the latter I think he, he is relentlessly positive. You know, he, he talks about some pretty grim things and experiences some pretty grim things, but he is relentlessly positive. And he kind of, I, th- I suspect that's, a, you know, I need to be positive because that's how I get through things. That's how I, 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 I move on. And I think that probably applies to his football career. He, he knows that there are pressure on footballers, but he said he didn't really feel it. You know, he worked as a bin man. He worked as a hop carrier. He, he played in non-league beforehand and he, he, he reduced it. And it sounds really simple now, but he said, look, I've got two choices. I either cross the white line and go on the pitch or I don't. And if I don't, then I'll go back to what I was. And if I do, then I've got a chance to be as good as I can be. And he always made that choice to go forward. But 
it's one thing saying that it sounds quite twee but it's one thing saying it. it's another thing doing it and there is a remarkable weight of um energy and hard work and commitment and resolve to neville that he 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 completely underestimates in himself you know he he kind of says i'm doing my thing i'm working hard i'm helping people out it's fine but it, it means so much more than that and I don't think he realizes that. And that's a compliment because it means, I think that's probably what fuels him carrying on. And in regards to his playing career as well, which is sort of spoken about in the book, one of the, the things that I found really interesting is that, and again, it's something that, that I didn't think necessarily would, would apply to Neville Southall is the, how cerebral and how committed he was to, to making himself a better, a better football as well. And, you know, he, he looked at, researched a lot of teams beforehand even looked at other sports and being you know how he could take things from that and I think that's that, that's another thing Daniel in regards to Neville Southall that people will, will probably be surprised about as well that he would be quite so broad in, in his interests and not just so insular when it comes to football mm. yeah I think what the, one of his only criticisms of himself as a player is that you know he talks about addiction in the book and the gambling addiction and the alcohol addiction he he, he kind of witnessed although maybe not knowingly at the time but he kind of says, I didn't do any of those things, but maybe my addiction was hard work. Maybe I did work too hard. You know, he, he hated summers when he wasn't training. He hated days off. He just wanted to, he even saw rest as a, he says he saw rest as a, this is just a conduit to me working tomorrow. And I think he probably accepts that he, he, he worked too hard. He probably forgot maybe to enjoy sometimes because he was, he was just so relentlessly pushing himself, but it certainly made him the goalkeeper he was. And it makes him the, the person he is now because you're absolutely right about the, the other sports. You know, he says, I, I studied volleyball for the jumping boxing because I knew I'd need to take hits, you know, golf even because of, you know, how to kick the ball and how to use your foot as a golf club and add spin to the ball, which was pretty unique at the time. Mm. Uh, and I think you're right, it plays into that appearance of him. He looks like an 80s footballer, or he looked like an 80s footballer. And that completely foxed everyone because they just didn't realise what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, ahead of his time, you could say, in some respect as well. And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and looking at what he's going to be involved in after the game, um, it's not a natural path, I think it'd probably be fair to say, for former players, certainly former 80s players who, who, who enjoyed this, that sort of success of his generation. I mean, did he, did he outline much to you how he, how he decided to get involved in it? Was it something that he was actively looking at towards the end of his playing career and thinking, I, I want to make a difference when it comes to social issues and, and diversity issues? I think it started with when he was a senior goalkeeper, he said, you know, senior goalkeepers were always good to me. So I always wanted to help out the young kids and, you know, he'd always help out the academy goalkeepers. And, you know, he did some first team coaching post retirement, but he didn't get on with it. He kind of, he didn't like the fact that you were, you know, you had someone, a hidden figure in a boardroom who you were kind of doing the bidding of. He kind of got disillusioned with that. He said he would work in kids football, but instead he, he got a job working in a school in, you know, in Ebervale in, a special needs school uh, in Wales and I think that kind of changed his life basically you know the whole edu the whole this whole thing about this educational journey he went on came because you know one of the kids or he was he was concerned that one of the kids might come up to him and have issues on mental health or sexuality and he said he wasn't capable of dealing with that and he thought that was unforgivable you know if a kid came up to him and asked he should be ready to provide answers so that fueled this thing where he just, you know, he just, he asked people and he asked for help and he educated himself. He, he still does two or three courses a week now on various things. And 
his whole thing is if someone comes up to me and asks for help, I want to be in the right position to do that, which hmm. you're right, is a million miles away from first team coaching and football, but it was a kind of incremental process. And I think basically he got the bug for, for helping people. Hmm. Was, was there ever a sense, I don't know if you have these conversations with him from similar football of his generation, you know, and, and we all sort of know we can't be a bit of a, an old boys club at times. There's still a lot of attitudes from, from that generation of certain players um, that, you know, got no place in today's society. Did he ever indicate to you that he had former teammates maybe, or, you know, whether at Everton or international or people he knew in the game sort of maybe sneering at him going, well, what, what do you get involved in that sort of stuff? for? <laughs> you know, you're, you're a former footballer, you can go a different way here. Yeah, I, th- I mean, the reality is he's got, he has always been a very kind person and anyone who you speak to from Everton or Wales will say the same. You know, they might say he was quiet and a bit of an outsider by design, but he was always very kind. And I mean, the reality is, is I think, you know, I, I like to think that there's a, a human side to anyone that would see someone doing good things and think good on you. And to be honest, that's all you hear from people. There's a, there is a, at times, I suppose, a slight naivety in that, you know, never would love everyone to do what he does, you know, hand over their Twitter accounts and sacrifice themselves to this. But um, I don't think there's anyone that could have a bad word to say about what he's doing um, because, uh, yeah, footballers do go in different ways, but I think he was probably always slightly different. Maybe he didn't see him doing this, but he says himself, if he can have had 40 years as a footballer up until retiring from football and another 40 years helping people, it would have been two careers well lived. <laughs> Absolutely. Just that, the discussions about um, his Twitter account and, and things like that. I don't know how much you would have spoken to him about those sorts of things, about his use of social media and how he became much more of an advocate on it. And I think it sort of reached the point probably ooh, about 18 months ago where he was given over his Twitter account maybe once a day or once a week. And it reached that. I think it was the famous, the adult babies take over is off. Sorry. line that all <laughs> yeah. came from that. And I wondered how much he'd learned about using social media and that sort of thing. Cause it really did slow at that point. And he sort of seemed to take a bit of a step back. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's very enthusiastic. So he wants to do everything he can. The whole thing about the Twitter takeovers are, I want to give, I've got, you know, 150 to 200,000 followers. I want to represent charities and initiatives that have far fewer than that. And mm. the best way, you know, he said, what's the point in me tweeting about these things? They know more than me. So why would I not just let them use my account, which is it's very innovative. Not many, not many people do it. And it's very distinctive in that it sticks out and you know, it's, you go through the timeline, you think, okay, that's someone taking over Neville's account. And yeah, and, and clearly there will occasionally be missteps. You know, talks in the book about uh, one of the users kind of getting into a spat with Alan Sugar about something <laughs> when using the account and that sort of thing. But um, I think it contains more good than bad. You know, mm. he, he is not, technologically savvy particularly Neville you know he's old school in that regard but he he realizes he's got this opportunity and this kind of window into 200,000 people's attention span that it would be a waste not to miss so I think he will always continue to do it. I, I, I love it about it I think he's just a shining example of what can be if you do just open your eyes and open your ears and with that in mind, do you find it surprising that with Everton having a vehicle like Everton in the community, that we don't see more of Neville involved with that? 
he he does he is he does work with them, and I, I'm I'm sure he would like to do as much as he can. One of the problems with Neville is that there's only seven days a week and 24 hours <laughs> a day. And, you know, he's up at he's up at 5:30, and he's 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 direct messaging people for help that will need support until nine ten o'clock at night. And um, yeah, and he's also over 60, um, but he does do work with them. I I just I know what Neville thrives upon is kind of connecting people. So it's, uh, it's almost an organizational role of to say, I think that person can help you. I'll put you in touch with them and making things happen that way. And he kind of then works on the ground behind the scenes and in terms of, a, you know, literally the dozens of direct message conversations he's having, helping people. Um, and this organizational stuff with the school, with suicide conferences, with mental health awareness charities, he is doing so much um, but he, he's full of praise for Everton. You know, he, he, there's a reason why he stayed there so long as a player because they were good to him. And there's a reason why he still watches every Everton game. And that's because he thinks they're still a very good club and they're doing good things off the pitch. So mm. kind of long may that continue, really. Mm. Is, is there any sense that maybe he feels a little bit cut out by because some, some of his views are so you know, high profile, Daniel, and because, you know, I think he's made it obviously very clear in the past that he's not got much time for, for the current party in government. Um, he's outspoken. And I think maybe sometimes, and we've had questions on our show recently from from listeners about, about this saying, we'd like to see Everton get more involved in in some of these these campaigns that he's, he's involved in. Um, and maybe they haven't fully thrown the weight behind it yet. But does he get the sense that by being so open sometimes it can have a a bit of an adverse effect on him and trying to get his message out there through maybe uh, bigger and more high-profile channels like football clubs or like the Premier League or like the FA. Yeah, I mean, that's his, that, you know, one of his dreams is to, is to create a connection of, of between football clubs on, on, these, on issues like, you know, he talks about homelessness in, in Liverpool. You know, if you, if you can unite Liverpool and Everton over those issues, you kind of unite the city and football shouldn't overlook how powerful and important it is at, at being that kind of uh, force for change. Um, he will always, I think, have reg- ha- kind of harbour some level of frustration because there are always more that people can do and he would always like people to do more and he would always like to do more himself. Um, but he, he manages to kind of juggle that f- frustration with this kind of positive outlook I mentioned, which is to say, well, okay, if it's not happening today, we'll bang on the door tomorrow and we'll bang on the door next week and we'll bang on someone else's door and we'll see if they know anyone. And that's how he does it. You know, he sees that there's, you know, there's millions of people he can help. So there's no point getting down too much about one issue. Let's just, let's just do as much as we can for as many people as we can. And it's a kind of philosophical outlook, but I think it works for him. Uh, just to finish off then, Daniel, before you go, um, we're speaking about speaking about Everton a little bit there, of course. It'd be great to get some quick thoughts on you for, on the Toffees this season. Uh, as we yeah. sit here recording this, it's Friday afternoon. It'll probably go out on Monday. So Everton will have won at least six out of seven games this season. Let's hope it's seven out of seven by the time it, it goes out. Uh, but what have you made? I can't believe you didn't just say they've won seven out of seven. You know? <laughs> Where's the positivity? It'll be, it'll be typical Everton, will not it? Yeah, in that regard. We probably would have got beaten had a few players sent off. We would have missed the derby or something like that <laughs> instead. But uh, what have you made of, uh, of Everton's start of the season under Carlo Angelotti, Daniel? Yeah, obviously I'm impressed. And it's it's about... It's just about having everyone, it feels suddenly like everyone's pulling in the same direction on and off the pitch. It feels like there's something to believe in. I know that Ancelotti was a coup in terms of, you know, tactics and man management, but he's also a coup in terms of James Rodriguez, let's be honest. Mm. And 
the, and the coaching of you know the ways the ability to coach Dominic Calvert Lewin, the the ability to create a midfield in one summer and make them look like they gel almost immediately. Um, there will obviously be a slight dip at some mm. point because there always is, and Everton are not a you know they're not a financial beer moth anymore. But yeah, it all looks it's, it's amazing and it's really kind of heartwarming to me, even as a non-Everton supporter, that how quickly things can go from very grim to to very rosy so quickly. You know, it only takes three or four wins and suddenly a team plays as if it's got a plan. It, it just didn't look like it had a plan under Marco Silva and even under Martinez and Koeman um, towards the end. So I hope it sticks with it. You know, I, I, I'm Everton are not necessarily my second club, but I think I speak for most neutral supporters when we wish Everton well. It would, it's a, a good football is, is, I'll say that again, football is well when Everton are on the up. I think that's true. They, they, they should be a side pushing for top six every season. You'd be surprised, Daniel, how many people come on this Everton podcast and say Everton are the second team. And, yeah. uh, it happens on air really well, times. I'm a, yeah. I'm a, to be fair, I'm a Forest fan and I know that people saying that can sound patronising because <laughs> we get the same thing, but it shouldn't do. You know, it shouldn't um, do but it just means that they take loads of points off us. We we don't want to be everyone's everyone's second team. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, you've been one of the biggest advocates of something within football that I think has been forgotten a lot recently, which is fun. Just fans being able to enjoy themselves and have fun. And I'd like to know from an outside perspective. Obviously, Evertonians have just been in that mindset these past few weeks. I've done it myself. I'm as guilty as anyone of being the most downbeat will it's Everton. So it's going to eventually be bad because that's how this works because it's how it's worked forever. Yeah. And I'd like to know from outside perspective, how do you see it right now? Do you see this fun as a microcosm? Is a little bit like in, in the sense of, oh, well, the wheels will fall off eventually. Like it's not going to carry on. Or do you see this as something that is sustainable for say a season, two seasons? I think it probably is sustainable. You know, the, the obvious uh, comparison to my mind is is Brendan Rodgers at, at, at Leicester who had part of a season to go into a summer and everyone kind of expects that new manager bounce at that point but actually the crucial part is how that first summer goes and how that second season starts and Everton have started exactly how Leicester did last season uh, and that seems to be being maintained with to my mind a, a better squad at Goodison now than, than there is at the King Power so um you're right in that every fan of every club assumes that their, their team will eventually let them down. But you're right about fun. You know, people always say, like, oh, it's the hope that kills you. But the reality is, is that you're kind of already dead anyway if you haven't got hope to start <laughs> with. So you might as well crack on. Brilliant. Uh, Daniel, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, just for people out there who want to get their hands on the book, uh, obviously we'll include a link in the description below or, or as well on the website. So whatever you're listening to this on, uh, find a link for it. But people who just want to search for it themselves on, on Google or whatever, where's the best place to buy it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, as, as you said at the start, it's called Mind Games. It's, it's written by Neville Southall. He's the author. And yeah, you know, Waterstones, but if you can find an independent local bookshop and give them your money absolutely uh, great stuff uh, Daniel really appreciate your time thanks very much for coming on and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon when, when Everton have won every game and, and we're absolutely flying at the end of the season cheers good luck for the season with the new Chevy Silverado you might be driving in this but with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens it'll feel more like this Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Sports Social Podcast Network.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.